Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Christian Apologist Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about human beings and if it is possible that we evolved to who we are today or if we were created and designed by God. Stay tuned and see what the answer holds. So this episode of the Christian Podcast, I like to title it, The Book with No Author. And so basically, where did we come from? I'm not talking about you and I personally, but the very first life. I mean, it had to come from somewhere, didn't it? Some say we're the product of millions and billions of years of evolution. The Bible says we were created by design and for a purpose. So which one is right? I mean, have you ever came across a book and it had no author that was mentioned and then just assumed it came together by chance? It would be like after a tornado ransacked a junkyard and coming across a perfectly built Lamborghini and assuming that through the chaos of the tornado, the Lamborghini was made. That would be completely nonsense and it would be impossible. You would see the book and you know that an intelligent being wrote the book. You would see the Lamborghini and know it was built by an intelligent mind. Let let us suppose that you were walking down the sidewalk and a concrete company had just poured some new concrete. As you get closer to the orange cones placed there by the concrete company to keep you off the wet concrete, you notice there's an etch in the concrete saying, Jason loves Sarah. Now, you wouldn't assume that nobody put that there, would you? I mean, seriously, you would not just automatically assume that nobody had put that there. You wouldn't think the concrete just mysteriously formed that way or an earthquake shook the ground forming a three-word sentence. That would be ridiculous and people would think you were crazy if you told them so. You would know that an intelligent mind, most likely Jason or Sarah, wrote that in the wet concrete before it had time to dry. So my question is, uh, if we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that an intelligent mind wrote a three-word sentence in concrete, How is it some people don't believe an intelligent being wrote the book of life, DNA? Each one of our DNA strands are comprised of a 3.2 billion letter sequence in perfect order. That is equivalent to over a thousand encyclopedias, except all of that is just in one single DNA strand. Not all your DNA strand, but just one. The odds of this happening by chance are natural forces and then forming with other strands on top of other strands on top of other strands over 200 times to form one single life form is an astronomical mathematical impossibility. Yet most scientists and atheists believe that this is exactly how life came to be. Charles Darwin discovered and wrote a book about evolution in 1859. Darwin was a naturalist, a geologist, an atheist, and a biologist. Even after he discovered the theory of evolution with almost everyone who almost everyone accepts as truth, he later says that the impossibility of conceiving that this grand and wondrous universe with our conscious selves arose through chance seems to me the chief argument for the existence of God. But whether this is an argument of real value, I have never been able to decide. Even Charles Darwin himself doubted his own theory and couldn't even understand how his macro-evolution theory could lead from a blob of cells to a conscious human being. This is what many apologists and Christians call the goo-to-you-by-way-of-the-zoo mindset. 
The majority of scientists today still believe humans are nothing but a product of macroevolution. And let me tell you, people, there are two forms of evolution scientists refer to. It's microevolution and macroevolution. What's macroevolution? Macroevolution is a theory that's never been proven, but makes claims that over time, species will evolve into other species and holds claim that everything alive, including plants, bacteria, seaweed, humans, animals, etc., including the stars in the sky, are all related and all came from the same blob. Now, I'm no scientist, but even common sense tells me that if two dogs were to live for billions of years, they would never, under any natural circumstance, become a cat. It just won't happen. So, scientists and atheists, they, they like to pride themselves on being the voice of reason, and yet their reasoning for the origins of life isn't even remotely reasonable. Microevolution, on the other hand, I am a firm believer in. Microevolution claims that over time species evolve, but stay within the same species. For instance, a wolf over billions of years of evolution could evolve into a pit bull, a chihuahua, a poodle, but the evolutionary processes stay within the canine species. That's microevolution. That actually happens. Michael J. Behe wrote a book called Darwin's Black Box. The book is of how Behe discovered that the intricate design of cells are irreducible because of its complexity, so it could not have evolved. This ruined Darwin's evolution theories for the creation of human life. Even now, scientists are trying to cling on to the hope of macroevolution so much that they are doing vast studies into epigenetic information to see if it's possible to change the structure of DNA to get a new body plan. With scientists being the voice of reason, that is, they would know that the problem with this is that DNA has its limits to genetic information. The human body is like a well-put-together computer. We don't assume computers came by natural sources. Why would we assume that about life? In fact, Bill Gates, when asked about God, he says he's pretty much an atheist and that the belief in a God makes zero sense to him. Now, after he makes this comment, he then goes on to say that DNA is like a program computer, but far, far more advanced than any software ever created. I mean, think about that. I mean, let me get this straight, that a man who is a genius, who has transformed the way the entire world runs everything through computers, he thinks that DNA is the most advanced computer program ever but he wants to deny that there is a creator for it. I mean, we can use that same kind of logic with Bill Gates, and we can assume that he truly didn't create Microsoft. It was just a product of natural, natural nature and evolution, and, and Bill Gates is only claiming to have created it. I mean, would that not make Bill Gates a little upset, knowing that he would not get the recognition or the money for creating Microsoft? But I wonder. I just wonder how bad that would upset him. I mean, that would have to really tick him off. I mean, how can Gates, knowing how hard and difficult it was for him to create Microsoft, still choose not to believe that a life 
which in his own words is a far more advanced computer program, was ever created by design, but rather it is the product of luck and or chance. Now, don't get too excited, though, all my Christian fellows that are listening to this. There is a slight chance that we won the luck of the draw by evolving the humans. What? Yes, I said that. There is a slight chance that this did happen over the process of natural selection. But I thought we would just discuss how it wasn't possible. So, sorry to inform all you creationists, but scientific data does show that it is a possibility. Now, it's not a logical possibility, but it is a possibility nonetheless. The chance of even the very first protein molecules of life forming an amoeba in perfect order is one chance in 10 to the 164th power. Wow. Yeah, you're probably saying I can't even comprehend that large of a number. Yeah, well, neither can I. That's because it's saying that there is only one perfectly ordered protein chain for every 100 million, trillion, 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 trillion failed attempts. That's 80 times more than the number of seconds that have passed by since the creation of the earth. I mean, that is hard just to say in one breath. Now, saying this actually was the case, and let's say it did happen, it still doesn't mean anything unless it happened over 200 times and then somehow, by chance, came together through forces of nature and formed any sign of life. Two great physicists say that there are 10 steps that must be taken for humans to have evolved from one genome. They claim that before this would even happen, the sun would stop existing and the earth would have burnt up. Now, I'm going to tell you what the mathematical equation is that they came up with. It is 4 to the negative 180th power to the 110th power and 4 to the negative 360th power to the 110th power. So, it is mathematically possible but it's just a high probability and a much less logical way of analyzing the data that is provided by science. Yet many people hold firm that even with those kinds of odds, this is why we are here today. The most brilliant scientists today throughout the world have been trying to create DNA out of nothing. But even with all their intelligence, they still have many failed attempts. I mean, how can they, being of intelligent mind, still not replicate DNA, but expect DNA to have formed from no intelligent mind, but by nature alone? They can't even do it themselves, much less have nature do it. Now, I know a lot of you out there are going to talk about what Floyd Romsberg did back in 2014. And let me tell you about this guy. He's a chemical biologist at Scripps Research Institute. And, he, you know, he claimed that they have created a new life form of E. coli out of scratch, and he was presented with an award for his accomplishment. Um, the DNA that was used was a combination of both natural and artificial DNA. Now, as they rejoice over their amazing achievement, you can't help but notice that even their claim to creating life 
had to be made from artificial and natural elements of DNA. So how is that exactly creating new life out of nothing? That's not creating new life. That's simply modifying an already existing life. I mean, that's the same as a mechanic saying he created a completely new vehicle out of scratch, when in reality, all he did was take the engine out of a perfectly good Ford F-150, added it to a transmission that he built by hand using parts from the auto store, and now he's wanting an award for his accomplishment. Now, don't get me wrong, what they do and did took intelligence, precision, skill, time, and science, but it's not creating something out of nothing. It's not creating something new. It's a modification of something that was already here. Now, I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with Dr. Frank Turek at Cross-Examine, but I am starting to understand his book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, for me, with just the number 1 to 10 to the 164th power alone, would seem to take more faith for someone to be an atheist than to have faith in a creator. Now, I've heard in many debates where people argue the design of the human body as not being perfect, but if God was, and, and they'd say stuff like, if God was an all-perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful being, then why aren't we living forever? Why do we die? Why do we die of cancer? Why do we die of heart attacks? Why do we die because our lungs fell? Well, I mean, why didn't God just create us with all this indestructible organs and veins? Why aren't we built more like the Wolverine from X-Men? But now, I'm only going to take a wild guess here, but probably because it was never his intent that we live forever in these bodies on Earth. I mean, it's very hard for anyone to question and complain about the design of something if we don't know what the intended purpose of the design is. It would be like me complaining that my MacBook is poorly designed because I can't control the electrical power grid in Los Angeles with it. It wasn't designed to control a power grid. It was designed to do more simplistic things, such as write a book on or do a PowerPoint. But if God exists, and he does, then heaven and hell exist as well. So initially, we never die. We just either move into God's presence, which is heaven, or we move out of God's presence, which is hell. Guys, we got to take a short break real quick. Stay tuned, and we're going to finish up our conversation on human beings, on evolution, and on which one gives us the better, most logical explanation onto why we are here. Stay tuned. Be back in a few minutes. Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it is one of the easiest ways to make a podcast. And let me explain in a few simple steps. For one, it is completely free. Yes, that is right. It is completely and absolutely free. There's also a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer or your phone. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on places as such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and that is a big deal when you're first starting out in podcasts. And it's literally everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. All you have to do is download the free Anchor app on Google Play Store or Apple iTunes, or from a computer, you can go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor.fm is what the Christian Apologist Podcast uses, and we have been extremely happy with its services. 
So once again, if you want to give podcasting a shot, download the free Anchor app on Google Play Store or the Apple iTunes or from your home computer or laptop by going to anchor.fm. Hey guys, welcome back to the Christian Apologist Podcast. We left off, we were talking about how our bodies that were not designed to live forever. But if we aren't made to live forever, which we're not, then the designer, that being God, achieved the purpose of his design. I mean, and a lot of people say, well, what about all those diseases people are born with? They weren't born perfect. Where's God's perfectly created design body then? But making a claim of something being better and other things being worse is a moral argument. And atheists and agnostics can't use that because they have no objective morality to stand or to judge by. They have a subjective morality based off their own opinions. But we're not going to talk about that today. So just because a creator or a designer of things makes something perfect for its intended use doesn't guarantee it'll come out perfect. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, look at it like this. If I was to bake a cake, my purpose of this cake is to be devoured by my sweet tooth cravings. And don't judge me. We all have them. You have them. You're probably chewing on a donut right now. But. As I finish making my beautiful, delicious-looking bunk cake, I place it in the oven and I walk away. Now, at some point, the thermostat of that oven fails, raising the temperature way above set point, and now my delush, delicious bunk cake is now a disastrous burnt cake. Now, is that a fault of mine because of my oven failed? No, of course not. It's a result of the oven failing, and the same is with God. He created and designed us perfect. But as he places us in a sinful, fallen world, sometimes flaws happen. All of us have flaws. We've all sinned. We all have failures. It tells us in Romans 3.23 that none of us are perfect. 3.10. We can't expect for God's perfect design to stay perfect when it's placed in a fallen world. We're all born into sin. And if you don't believe me, here's proof. Go place three two-year-olds with full glasses of red Kool-Aid in a room with white carpet and leave them unsupervised for a little while. I can almost guarantee that one of them, if not all three, are going to spill their Kool-Aid. And when you walk back in and you see the mess of your beautiful white Italian carpet that your wife just handpicked from Italy, you're going to be upset and you're going to ask them, who did this? Hearing the tone of their voice, they become fearful. And at the same time, they're all going to point to each other. But who told them to lie? Who taught them that? Nobody told them to lie and nobody taught them to lie. It's natural for them. That's because they are born into sin and we all have a sinful nature. Sin is like poison to us. We can have someone who is in what we call perfect health, but if they drink just small amounts of poison daily, they will get sick and they will eventually die from it. This is why we need the great physician known as Jesus. Our bodies are designed perfect for the intentions of the designer and for the intended purpose of our lives. Now, biologists claim we are nothing more than millions upon billions upon billions of molecules and nothing more. They're basically saying that we don't have no spirit. We don't have no mind. And if biologists are right and we are nothing but a bunch of molecules in motion, then that would mean that every thought that we had or are going to have are nothing but just random acts of molecules colliding, giving us what we believe is our intellectual thought processes. 
Dr. Stephen Novella, a neurologist from Yale, says that the mind is an imaginary fairy tale that only the brain exists. See, now Dr. Novella, he's like many atheists, he's a materialist. Materialists only believe what they can see. If that is the true case, then how can we even know what love is? How can we know what good and evil is? There is no love molecule or collision of molecules giving us love or the knowledge of good and evil. It is impossible for materialists to know what those things are because it can't be seen. We couldn't objectively know anything, but only subjectively, and that would mean good and evil are just a matter of opinion based on the molecules colliding in each of our brains. One could only subjectively claim what Joseph Stalin did by killing millions of people was bad. It wouldn't be objectively wrong, it's just your opinion against Stalin's opinion. Now this doesn't mean only Christians can know the difference in good and evil. We all know the difference. We are all born with a moral compass. The question isn't ontological that we know morality, but it's epistemology on how we know morality. We all know what good and evil is, right from wrong. The question is, how do we know what is good and evil? That, that's, there, there's no good and evil molecule or cell running through our bodies telling us what's right and wrong. We all know because it's of our minds and it's written in our hearts at birth. Jeremiah 31:33 and Hebrews 8:10 tells us this. We know good from evil because there's a perfect moral being, that being God, from whom we get the standard of goodness from. Every second that goes by, our bodies are regenerating up to 20 million cells. Around 100 million new red blood cells are created every minute. The human body is such an amazing thing, and to sit there and say that it happened by chance or nature without a natural, I mean, without an intelligent mind is absurd. I mean, definitely, it's too amazing for me to say it's the product of an evolving blob. I mean, considering that some of the smartest people in the world, such as Hawking's and Dawkins and Hitchens and Shermer and many, many more that find complete satisfaction in believing and trying to prove that just our bodies alone could have evolved instead of being created is astonishing. We are finally tuned to live on Earth. There's more theories than there is proof that we are the product of millions and billions of years of evolution. It's all just a theory based off of many scientists' interpretations of the data provided in hopes of someday discovering it to be true. Richard Dawkins is one of the world's most leading atheists and evolutionary biologists, and he thinks of humans as survival machines, robot vehicles blindly programmed to preserve the selfish molecules known as genes. I mean, where do we have a selfish molecule? I mean, I'd like to see that molecule under a microscope. I've never even heard of that before. For Christians to claim that there is a creator, atheists such as Dawkins and, and many others, they want 100% proof of this, but yet they can't even provide 100% proof of their own theories. And when they don't have 100% proof, they give, say, give us more time and we will prove it. I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but more time isn't going to prove macroevolution. It'll never happen, it's an impossibility, and it's the only theory they have to go on. But hey, I'm all for giving it more time, let's do that. We'll give it more time, we'll see if anything changes. It won't, but we'll see. I mean, maybe in time they'll see what all Christians already see, and that 
hey, there is a creator and there is a designer for everything. When we don't have 100% of proof, they call it God of the gaps argument. Now, what is God of the gaps? Basically, what they're saying is that when we can't find an answer to a question, we just plug into God, plug God into those gaps and expect others to accept it. Dawkins says, says this in his book, The God Delusion. Creationists eagerly seek a gap in present day knowledge or understanding. If an apparent gap is found, it is assumed that God, by default, must fill it. But let me tell you something, Dawkins. The human species and the origins of the universe isn't a God of the gaps argument. We are following the evidence, the most logical, reasonable explanation that science data has to provide. That is what we are doing. Science has given more proof for creationism than the macroevolution theory processes of us evolving from stardust to what we are now. And that is a proven fact. Our brains being nothing but molecules in motion is not an answer to free will. It isn't an answer to the laws of logic or the laws of mathematics. A famous Christian author and apologist, William Lane Craig, says, The laws of mathematics and logic, morality, metaphysical truths, and aesthetic judgments are not a gene or product of evolution or of the human mind. Even the scientific method of truth cannot be discovered. What he's meaning here by the method of truth is that what physicists call the laws of logic. So what are the laws of logic? Well, there are three primary laws that make up the laws of logic. It's the law of identity, basically saying if I say it's raining outside where I'm at and it's true, then it's true. Um, you have the laws of excluded mental, which says that if it if I say it's raining where I'm at and it isn't, then it's false. And the last one is the laws of non-contradiction, which basically says that if I say it's raining where I'm at, then it can't be true and false at the exact same time. These laws would still apply even if no human minds existed. How? For example, if the earth was empty and human minds weren't here, would the statement, there's no humans on earth, still be true? Of course it's true. We don't need humans to have the laws of logic. If nobody was around, would 2 plus 2 still equal 4? Of course it would, because you don't need the human mind to have the laws of mathematics. These laws would still exist even if nobody was here. Why? Because the laws don't come from human minds, but from the lawgiver, which is God. How can evolution create laws that weren't created by the human brain? It can't. It's an impossibility. Laws don't create themselves. They are created by lawgivers. These laws had to exist way before we were created by the Creator. In another book of Dawkins, he says, DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. In simpler terms, he's saying, we don't have free will. We don't act or think on our own. We're merely reacting to the dancing molecules colliding in our brains. But, you know, that basically that we are nothing but DNA molecules, and we have to dance to its music without rhyme or reason. Now, I don't know about any of you listening here, but myself, my first initial question is this. Was that statement of his own thinking, or is that just the result of his DNA reacting and dancing to the music that was playing in his head at that time? I mean, why should we believe anything he is saying? Michael Shermer, he's another well-known atheist, says this about the feeling of love. When I fall in love with someone, my initial lustful feelings are enhanced by dopamine, a neurohormone 
produced by the hypothalamus that triggers the release of the testosterone, the hormone that drives sexual desire, and that my deeper feeling of attachment are reinforced by oxytocin, a hormone synthesized in the hypothalamus and secreted into the blood by the pituitary. Now, I have never once have seen that in a Hallmark card. And gentlemen, for all you gentlemen listening, whatever you do, whatever you take away from this podcast today, do not ever, under any circumstance, give this as an answer when your wife asks you why you fell in love with her. It will not end well for you. But for people like Michael Shermer, Love isn't an emotion. It's not spiritual. It's not a feeling. It's just a bunch of chemical molecules and cells dancing and reacting to the music of their own DNA, giving them what they think is an emotional feeling. There was a paper published in May of 2020 from Columbia University openly admits, despite knowing when life first appeared on Earth, scientists still do not understand how life occurred. Well. Would you look at that? Now we're finally getting somewhere. Scientists don't know how life happened. Hallelujah. And the truth shall set you free. Now, is this an argument for Christianity? Um, No, no, not really. I mean, it's an exciting confession, maybe. But it does not show that scientists don't have an answer to the origins of life no matter how hard they try or how bad they want to have an answer. This doesn't stop them from filling in the gaps with, dare I say it, um, an atheistic gap, or better yet, an atheistic assumption. I don't know if that phrase can be coined yet or not, but if anybody's listening, I am calling the patent office immediately. Do not use it or you will owe me money. Just kidding. The human mind is very much real. It might not be able to be seen, but most scientists uh, most scientists don't agree with that. Scientists know we have brains. They can see and feel those, but they don't believe in the mind because it can't be seen or felt. But, you know, with that kind of mindset, gravity cannot be seen. It cannot be, you know, you, you see the effects of it. You feel the effects of it, but it can't be seen, but yet we believe that it exists. I mean, scientists first had to believe that gravity existed before they could believe in gravity. There's two types of beliefs in the world, and and here's what I mean by that. There's believe that, and then there's belief in. So, for example, if I say to believe that my truck, I believe that my truck will get me to the supermarket before I can believe in it getting me to the supermarket. First, someone would need to believe that God exists before they can believe in him. To believe that God exists is easy when you follow the teleological argument to the most probable logical explanation. And what's the teleological argument? Simplest explanation is the argument of God's existence from the evidence provided. But to believe in God is up to each individual person. The Bible even tells us that the demons believe that God exists. They believe that Jesus exists. They just don't believe in him. They don't put their faith and hope in him. So why are atheists completely okay with believing that humans are here by a lucky chance rather than choosing to follow the reasonable logical evidence back to the creator? 
And let me tell you something, that's a good question. And many will claim that it's because there isn't enough proof or a lack of evidence to support such a God. And others will claim that just they just can't believe in someone something that sounds like a made-up fairy tale, which is how philosopher A.C. Grayling's put it. But we can have, in many occasions have, shown more logical proof for creationism than evolution. But there's a difference between proof and persuasion. Proving what the logical scientific data shows isn't the same as persuasion. So when somebody wants proof of God's existence, I'm happy to oblige. If they still choose not to be reasonable and recognize it as at least a plausible explanation, I walk away. Uh, Dr. Turk is famous for this, and, and I use it quite a bit. He says, he asked people, if Christianity were true, would you believe it? And, you know, remarkably, the times I've heard it said and the times I've used it, most of it's 50-50. You get a 50% chance that people say yes and a 50% chance people say no. But that just tells me that it's not a question of the mind being able to accept the evidence provided for God's existence, but it's a question of whether the heart wants to accept it. Many don't want to believe in God. Why? Because they don't want to think about the penalties for their sin. They don't want to believe in the afterlife where a hell actually exists. I mean, contrary to popular belief, not all people want to go to heaven. And I know you might want to argue that, but it's true. Because not everybody wants to be with God for eternity. And believe it or not, those in hell, they don't want out of hell. That's a misconception that you've been told all your life if you hear people say that. But read Luke 16, 19 through 31. It gives the parable of a man in hell. And he wants Abraham to send his servant down to give him a drop of water on his tongue and wants his servant to send a message back up to his brothers telling them about hell. But pay attention to that, that script, those scriptures. He's never asking to be removed from hell. He's in hell still trying to bark orders at Abraham and his servant. He's never asking one, say, hey, get me out of here. He's saying, bring me some water and go warn others. But he never has to get removed. Thomas Nagel is a professor of philosophy and <clears throat> law emeritus. He says, I want atheism to be true. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. And yet he also claims that conscious subjects in their mental lives are inescapable components of reality, not describable by the physical science. So in fewer words, his claims is physics can't account for consciousness. Atheist and writer Martin Rosen said, if God proved he existed, I still wouldn't believe in him. I don't believe in God, not because I can't, but because I don't want to. Lawrence Cross, a theoretical physicist and cosmologist, also claims that we are all stardust and that the atoms from our left hand is most likely came from a different star than the atoms of our right hand. Yeah, you heard that right. Not only do you expect, he only expects us to believe that we came from stardust, but he wants us to think that one side of our stardust bodies is from a completely different star than the other side. Yet atheists make the claim that we are the ones with a fictional mind. Really? I mean, he's even quoted saying, forget Jesus, the stars died so we may live. So let me, let me get the facts straight. He and I both agree that someone or something had to die so we may live. But me believing in Jesus dying for our sins so we may live 
is complete and utter nonsense and compared to his belief that stars had to die so that we may live? And yet Dawkins says, I'm delusional for believing in God? Uh, <laughs> wow. With all these brilliant scientists in the world, it's just unsettling to me to think. The best answer they can come up with is we're all stardust evolved from billions of years of natural selection into a no good, no evil, no mind or conscious consciousness colliding molecules dancing around to the music of our own DNA. Did I get that right? Did I say it all? Did I get it all covered? Anthony Flew was one of the most famous atheists turned deist before he passed away in 2010, said, I now believe there is a God. I now think it, the evidence, does point to a creative intelligence almost entirely because of the DNA investigations. What I think the DNA material has done is that it has shown by the almost unbelievable complexity of the arrangements which are needed to produce life that intelligence must have been involved in getting these extraordinary diverse elements to work together. You know, science data shows us that there are well over 100 billion galaxies and all having their own planets, their own stars, and their own moons. And many of these other galaxies are immensely, immensely larger than our own Milky Way galaxy. And through billions of years of evolution, just like on Earth, not one single planet has had life originate through the evolutionary process or in an air, or any process, for that matter, as far as we know about. So, yeah, I, I guess we're lucky, if that's the word you want to use. A lot of atheists are jumping ship and they're becoming deist and theist. So what's changed? Did evidence change? Did God change? Or was it their mentality that changed? <coughs> Let me tell you what happened. It's called Occam's Razor. What is Occam's Razor? Occam's Razor is when you are presented facts on two different ideas, and the simpler of the two is more likely correct. It's obvious which idea is the simplest to follow. They were, they were at a standstill. They had nowhere to turn. Now, some atheists and scientists can no longer deny that there are more logical, simpler probability for the universe to have been created out of nothing and for humans to have been created is that there, there must have been a designer who created all things and designed it all with a very fine precision. <laughs> 